This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Kenwood. We are committed to providing modern turnkey critical communication solutions for today and the future. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Are you taking care of yourself? Well, it's not surprising that many in law enforcement are dealing with a variety of ills that may be directly related to not only the regular stressors of their job, but also, of course, we know that there's new demands uh, over the past year that have certainly heaped on additional stress. Well, today I'm speaking with Air Unit and Tactical Flight Officer Mark Geiger of the Henderson, Nevada Police Department and his journey navigating a heart condition known as atrial fibrillation or AFib. Stay with us as Mark offers health, heart tips, and tips that he can offer to other officers. Welcome, Mark Geiger. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So Mark's uh, been with the Henderson, Nevada PD 17 years or so, and as an active and healthy police and tactical flight officer, Mark first experienced symptoms of atrial fibrillation while on duty, resulting in hospital visits, medical tests, and numerous doctor's appointments. And according to new research, having a stressful job, such as being a police officer, is associated with a high risk of developing AFib. And... Uh, going through your background, Mark, I would I would probably describe you as um, a slacker, right? <laughs> FTO, crisis negotiator, SWAT, canine agitator, bike team officer and instructor, uh, post explorer coordinator. You've been involved in the drone program. You're currently assigned to community relations. So, I mean, you know, jokingly, I say you're a slacker, but you're like a lot of... Um, you know, the, the type A police officers who want to be involved and want to give the extra effort. And um, you're involved in a lot of things that, that have a lot of demands. Can you talk a little bit about your career leading up to the event? Absolutely. And a lot of those things I did when I was uh, much younger. Uh, I've been around for a little while now. And I always wanted to kind of get my hands in as much as I could. So I was very fortunate as many in law enforcement to be able to try a lot of different things. Um, but it, it's been a great, uh, great ride. I'm, I'm anticipating retiring in about a year, but uh, I didn't anticipate starting off in law enforcement. I was working with uh, a major airline and I got into some ground security coordination, which ultimately led to being a uh, liaison with the secretary of transportation and worked through 9-11. Uh, I started to get a little exposure with uh, checkpoint security, some explosives, uh, you know, testing and that type of stuff throughout the, uh, the security world, which now TSA is heading up. But I was fortunate enough to get on board with Henderson Police Department. And, you know, I've done a little bit of everything, like you mentioned, in FTO and OIC. I've done a lot of the uh, crisis negotiation and mental counseling and work within law enforcement which supported my, uh, my education. I have a degree in psychology and communications. And I, uh, 
I've done the, uh, the canine agitator and the SWAT agitator in my early days, as well as a bicycle officer, as well as several instructor courses. We do a lot in Southern Nevada with other agencies. So it gave me a lot of exposure and a lot of opportunities to get different types of training. I'm a fire and explosives investigator, and that was through uh, a national certification. But uh, it's been great. I've done a little bit of everything. One of my my goals was to get involved with the air unit with a neighboring agency, and I was able to, uh, to start the training as a tactical flight officer and explore that realm. And that's when I uh, started to experience some issues with my health. Uh, fortunately, uh, I've been since transferred over to community relations. I'm able to finish out my career, but uh, it's been a surprise along the way. And there's been a, a lot of challenges uh, since my heart issues uh, while flying with the air unit. Yeah, so so walk us through that a little bit. You're with the air unit. You've been there for about a year. And then all of a sudden, what what was your first tip? You know, I, I've, I've never had any issues. I've always been super healthy. We get annual physicals like most departments do. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of police officers have the type A. So if you have a, a bump or a bruise or maybe, you know, a kink here and there, we tend to ignore them. And in hindsight, I saw a few of the signs, but uh, to take you back to the first instance, uh, I was in training and we were on a patrol flight and we had been up for probably about an hour and a half and we were coming back down for fuel. And I remember feeling a pain in my shoulder that radiated down to my bicep. Uh, I've never had any prior heart issues or health issues. So I really just kind of chalked it up to uh, the cramped space and the, the tight confinements of the cockpit. So I tried to stretch it out as we were as we were flying back. And I remember looking forward to getting on the ground. I was getting a little bit queasy, which was which was unlike, uh, you know, anything that I felt before. I never had any flight issues or flying or air sickness issues. When I landed, I tried to kind of stretch it out a little bit. But uh, upon landing and refueling, I started to get more nauseous and kind of felt cold and clammy. Fortunately, we had some uh, medics that are part of the search and rescue team, and they came out and checked me out. And they said, hey, we think you're having some type of a heart issue. They rushed me over to the hospital. And I was originally diagnosed with something called thoracic impingement syndrome. And I had some previous shoulder injuries, just some wear and tear. And the doctor thought that the impingement on my shoulder was affecting the blood circulation. And that's what kind of gave me that sensation and the queasiness. Hmm. And again, that, that type A ego kind of kicked in and I kind of blew it off. Yeah, and power through it. Exactly. Um, you know, here I am in the middle of training. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. We're working with the tip of the spear. And the last thing I need to do is have anything, you know, any hiccups or anything, you know, slow me down at this point. So were you feeling shortness of breath or just the, the sort of muscle, muscle pain? Really just a, a cramping and some nauseousness, a little bit of, you know, just a little unsteadiness, really uh, not, a, not a lot, nothing that, again, that I wasn't about to kind of power through. I started to get kind of cold and clammy. I remember they checked some of my vitals and, you know, my heart was racing and things just weren't really adding up very well. Mm, okay. That was the first instance. And 
again, that one seemed kind of minor and I thought it was a lot of overkill, you know, and a lot of hoopla. Um, my department rushed down to check on me and the powers that be everybody from, you know, from my supervisor all the way up through the chain of command, everyone was very concerned when you hear anything about the heart. So it was about, uh, I had gone back to work a few days later and uh, was really trying to stretch out my shoulder and, and try and focus on that to avoid the problem. And about a month later, month and a half later, we were on a, a routine uh, patrol flight. And again, we'd been up for probably a little over an hour and we were flying back and we were in the process of changing airspace to a different area command. So I needed to transmit. So I pressed the communications button with a foot pedal and I felt fine. I didn't feel any different, but when I went to transmit, I wasn't able to articulate my words. Mm. Strangely enough, I was flying with the, uh, the same uh, pilot in command that I had flown with previously and was aware of the previous incident. So he really, you know, and really quickly ascertained that something was up. Mm -hmm. I remember he kind of nudged me and he said, Hey, you know, Geiger, what are you doing? You're transmitting. And yeah. I looked at him and I, I knew very well I was, but I wasn't putting two and two together. And it was almost like that sensation where you have, you know, that, that word on the tip of your tongue where you know what it is, but it's just not coming out. Right. And that's kind of what it was. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've seen similar um, YouTubes about uh, news anchors or sports announcers uh, where they not only do they freeze up, but they might just start spouting some language that no one understands. And they're they're going to through something similar. Right. And and, you know, and it progressively got worse. You know, we were able to land safely. He got me there. And the second episode was kind of interesting because I really don't have much of a recollection of it. Uh, there's bits and pieces that I can recollect, but uh, he had radioed ahead. Uh, search and rescue guys were ready to roll again. And when I had landed, my, my boss had said, hey, what did you have to eat? And I remember being able to kind of put my hands together in an oval shape. And I'd eaten like one of those little vitamin breakfast biscuits. Ah. So I was able to make the shape. And, and all I could say was, you know, you know, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew what I wanted to say, but it just wasn't coming out. So a lot of verbal repetition, um, a lot of this is stupid. This is stupid. Yeah. And they say, we're going to take you to the hospital. And I just remember saying, yeah, this is really stupid. And my, my vocabulary was really limited. And did you feel disoriented or you knew where you were? You knew who you were talking with? At that point, I felt a bit more disoriented. Again, my recollection is kind of spotty. Mm. Uh, they brought me back over to the hospital. They kept me this time and they went through a bunch of checks. Um, they checked me for some seizures, that type of stuff. We did some follow-up and you know, they slowly started to connect the dots. Um, it turned out that I was diagnosed with having had a couple uh, TIAs. Mm. And the TIA is the, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, pronounce that one with full faculties, but uh, yeah. TIA is basically described to me in layman's terms as a mini stroke. And, you know, and, and from there they were, they were able to uh, start treating me. 
And yeah, so you mentioned you mentioned that your agency was very supportive to the point of of embarrassment for you that they were giving you so much attention and and everything else. Had your have your had your own uh, personal physician weighed in and given you any indication this was coming? You know what? And you're absolutely right. And, I, and I'm still appreciative to this day. It's uh, <clears throat> I'm humbled at uh, how supportive everyone has been. I mean, I was chasing a dream and living the life and it definitely impeded on that. And this is after having, you know, 16, 17 annual physicals that everything came back clean. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no history of health issues amongst my family, no heart issues or anything like that. So, you know, it was as much of a surprise to myself as everyone else. Uh, Fortunately, I'm at a department where there's a ton of resources and that support literally came from like, we have a life, a lifeline program where, you know, they typically reach out and it's a lot of peer support on critical incidents, but not every incident is going to be a critical incident. Sometimes it's an incident like my own, that is critical to me, my health, my family, my livelihood, my aspirations. So I had support from the lifeline program. I had support from our union our supervisors, all the way up to our chief and our command staff. So it's a smaller department. And I think that that, for me, that was definitely beneficial. Uh, They reassured me, they were able to, hey, you know, don't worry about that. You know, you're here and you're not going to go anywhere. So that really did alleviate a lot of the stress. They were able to bring me back to uh, community relations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I knew that I was, you know, anticipating and hoping to retire over the next couple of years. And as you get closer to that prize, the, the stress definitely increases. Yeah. So yeah. I felt good about that. Just when you think you're throttling down a little bit and you could paddle in into shore, it's 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 the opposite. Yeah. So um, the TIA, I'm gonna try it myself, the transient ischemic attack um, that that actually, see, I don't know if, if we've just become more aware of it or it's become more common, but when you described your, your career to the doctors, did they mention that um, the, the fact that you were up in the air in a helicopter, that did that uh, have any, did that weigh in on the TIA or, or, or your condition? You know, every, they really looked at everything. They're typically not flying at altitudes that, are exceptionally high. Mm-hmm. Uh, the job that they do is uh, is very labor intensive. It is physically, mentally stressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very challenging. It, it's by far, I think, one of the, the toughest jobs in law enforcement, as well as one of the most rewarding. But I, you know, I, I don't think that that was really a factor. Okay. Um, we did look into the compression of like the seating and that type mm-hmm. of thing, but you know, the departments are really cognizant of the stresses that we put on our body. Uh, and I don't know the stats, but I remember early on, you know, even going to the, the seminars as a new officer put on by uh, Dave Grossman, for example. Um, you know, there's a lot of great ones out there, but they talk about the stress and about the life expectancy of police officers after retirement. And it could be a culmination of the stress. And we are going from zero to a hundred, you know, in mm-hmm, seconds mm-hmm. and we're yeah. sitting in a car one moment and then we're running after someone. I mean, there's so many facets 
and so many different roles that we play in law enforcement that really are taxing. And there's not many jobs that can, can really replicate the stress that we're putting our bodies under. And that's just based upon the physical stressors, let alone the mental. Sure. So let's take a second to acknowledge our sponsor and be right back. At Kenwood, we make sure first responders have mission-critical radio systems that work, no matter what. When the mission is critical, no one has time for complexities or static or system failures. It has to work perfectly in the worst conditions. That's why Kenwood focuses on innovating, developing, and implementing the highest quality secure communication solutions to organizations whose mission is to protect and save lives. We ensure you will always have the lifeline you need when you need it. We make safe simple. Visit us online at www.efjohnson.com. And we are back and I'm speaking with Officer Mark Geiger from Henderson PD. And we're talking about his journey with AFib or uh, atrial fibrillation, uh, a heart condition that uh, we're trying to trace back to maybe its origins. But I mean, just simply said, the, the rigors of, of police work probably contributed greatly to, to your condition. Yes? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we do this long enough. And as I mentioned earlier, and as a lot of the officers know, you know, we could be sitting one minute, we could be in, you know, eating, eating lunch, eating dinner, working odd hours, woken up from a, a sound sleep and expected to perform, you know, at the highest levels with little or no notice or warning. Uh, and I think that contributes uh, again here I am. I'm a healthy guy. I've had no other health issues. I've got sure. no of health issues. And unfortunately, a lot of the TIAs, some of them go undiagnosed. Some of them, uh, you know, we're not sure exactly what causes them. There could be a lot of different things that, uh, that prompt incidents like this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm no doctor, but I, I, I'm interested. I'm curious. What was your sleep like before the, um, the attack? You know, I don't recall specifically. I can I can attest, like many, that uh, my sleep pattern is is sometimes broken. I'd say the majority of the night, you know, I don't sleep well. I wake up, my family teases me. You know, when I wake up at certain things, will startle me, and I'll jump up, and yeah. you know, the, the little things rather than the big things. So <clears throat> I think that just goes with the job. And were you were you on a regular workout regimen? Were you keeping in shape, watching your diet beforehand? Yes, fortunately, I've always been in pretty good shape. I, I could always work out more, but I've always I've always kept up with a, a light regimen. I've always kept my weight down. I avoid a lot of the things, uh, excessive alcohol, obviously, things like that. Um, I tend to like the coffee, those type of things. Sure. But, uh, you know, it was tough to really try and track this down. And the problem is, is these incidents are very difficult from my understanding from what the doctors have said, and what I've educated myself on, they're hard to tell, they're hard to forecast. Yeah. And, you know, 10 seconds before the onset of these symptoms and the incident, I felt completely fine. Yeah. So, well, that's sort of the scary, scary part, right? So, I mean, hopefully officers can, can do the best they can in working the job and then balancing their home life and getting the sleep, staying fit, keeping a good weight, 
eating right. And still this may, you know, you're, you're given the account that it just sort of may still creep up on you. Absolutely. And, and there are false positives with tests. You know, we tried a, a bubble study and we pursued that. Um, we looked into a lot of different things. And again, I, I got physicals every year. And unfortunately, I think that uh, we kind of get predisposition to look for specific things, the big things where the smaller things can kind of creep up on you. Yeah. And it's funny. I had a supervisor tell me one time that uh, if you take care of the little things, the big things will work themselves out. Yeah. And I think that I overlooked some of these smaller things. Mm. Um, when I came in contact with my current physicians and ultimately with the device that they implanted into my chest. Um, again, I'm humbled that I have the latest, greatest technology, but I've seen officers that are, you know, monitoring their heart and they had these cumbersome devices and mm -hmm. they had, you know, to really alter their work and it wasn't easy. And I don't, you know, I doubt the accuracy of that technology. I feel like I, I really am on the cutting edge of something that I can monitor my heart with long-term. Hmm. So, yeah, that's great news. So what's changed? So you have a monitor now, you have a different assignment, um, less demands on you in community relations, except now, I mean, any other time it would be sort of an easy ride, but community relations are strained themselves right now. So, so tell us about the heart monitor. How's that working for you? Is it an external thing? Do, do you, do you do readouts to your doctor? What's, what's that like? The heart monitor is virtually undetectable. It's about, again, in layman's terms, it's about half the size of a AAA battery. Hmm. And it's under my skin. It is 24 hours a day. It sends information over to the doctors. The coolest thing about it is it's completely wireless. Like I said, it's virtually undetectable. Even if I was to, uh, to have my shirt off, if I'm in the pool, I can, I'm not limited on anything. And it lasts up to about three to four years. So mm -hmm. I've seen devices where the old school technology were a bunch of wires and these guys have to wear them on the outside of their chest. And even myself, even in my small department, I've seen multiple people, you know, with these older devices Wow! and it, it kind of hinders them. And uh, I wouldn't want to wear one myself, to be quite honest. Sure. I think for myself, you know, it has a, a symptom recorder and it's really basic. I'm not a tech savvy guy. Mm -hmm. So I can simply press a button. And I, when I feel something in my body, regardless if it's, you know, if it's something that I'm not recognizing or a pain or a strain, and I think it's related, I could actually just hit a button on the app and I can describe what I'm feeling. And it'll send like a little benchmark on that 24 hour recording, seven days a week, the doctors will see what that is. So it kind of takes the onus off of me and actually puts, the the symptom the feeling and a brief description into the hands of the doctors immediately nice. you know virtually immediately mm -hmm. and it, you know let the professionals figure out what's going on i can tell you something's a little bit off today and i feel this or this is what's going on i'm feeling my heart racing let them figure it out and it's such a great feeling because i feel such confidence in the product and in the device that Again, like it's, I don't have to go to the doctor. They can get all this information from me remotely. Mm -hmm. And so would an, so an alarm, alarm go off to your doctor and, and alert them to, to get in contact with you? 
my understanding is that uh, all the data that comes in, there's parameters set and that the, the data is interpreted. Now, if I set that, that symptom checker and I can actually look at, look at the history of it, that they'll get some indicator along with the information that I'm providing and they can review it. Mm-hmm. So what will happen is once that symptom checker is checked, then it'll go back a few minutes and they can actually monitor the whole, the whole, uh, the whole episode. Got it. Okay. And um, so what would you, what would be your recommendation to, to cops work in the field now um, at the first sign of, of any indicators, what, what would you say to them? You know, we, we've always heard about the common sense stuff, you know, drinking, smoking, you know, all this type of stuff. Fortunately, I think that with a progressive department such as myself, there's a lot of resources out there that quite frankly, I knew were there, but I never really took advantage of hmm. that stress, the communication, the, deb- the debriefing, uh, lower your stress levels. You know, we know that stress causes a lot of bad chemicals in your body. Yeah. And when you're young, it really doesn't matter. And you don't think about it and you really don't care. Right. Um, I'm reaching that retirement you know, timeline and it will catch up with you. So I think it's really important as, uh, as we're doing now to continue being proactive, continue the communication and have those available resources. We talk about uh, our, you know, our pensions and our investment, yet the most important investment we could ever make with the best return is going to be in our health. So we can really appreciate that retirement, you know, segment in our life. So I would, I would recommend obviously continuing doing the physicals and doing what we should be doing, but look into your investment. If you're feeling something that you're not accustomed to look into it, you know, take the extra trip to the doctor, Uh, you know, just don't disregard stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's, if it's restricted to, to law enforcement or police officers, but that idea that you just sort of rationalize or wave it away that you're going to feel better or you're just out of breath from working out or what have you that, uh, yeah, we need to start paying more attention and, and get to get to see a professional as soon as we can. Um, you know, you're one of the lucky ones. Uh, you got the uh, alert and you, you saw the, you got the medical attention pretty quickly. Uh, you had some really smart people, you had good support and, uh, now you're, you're continuing, uh, the support with this monitor, uh, and you're going to retire soon. So you can look forward to that, um, going up in a helicopter anytime soon. You know, (laughs) I don't know who would give me a tougher time, my, uh, <laughs> my command staff or my wife, but they equally both probably frown upon it. Yeah, well, you, you can understand that. So, yeah, it's, I mean, cops should be able to take care of themselves before they can reach out and take care of others. And, um, you know, yours is a good story to as a maybe a cautionary tale or to take heed and do some proactive work, get into, get into your own physician. Um, you know, when you do have a chance to, to get the medical attention from your agency, why not? Why not do it? It's important. And I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that uh, sometimes we save those sick days for, you know, extend a vacation or to, you know, 
do a little extracurricular activities. But again, as, as we're getting older, it, it's more important to take those sick days for yourself, for your health, to de-stress. Um, you know, again, I can't say enough about my department because they really do encourage us to, you know, keep the healthy mind, keep a healthy body. And I think in the long run, you know, the output of each officer is going to be much better. There's no reason to overtax yourself. It's not a sprint, especially these days where they're extending, you know, contracts and retirements yeah. where, you know, it's a long, long run. It's not a sprint. It is by sure a marathon and you, you have to be in marathon shape. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for spending uh, time with us. Thanks for telling your story. And uh, with any luck, uh, people are going to listen and and go the extra mile to take care of themselves or at least take stock of their own health. And um, thank you for, for meeting with us today, Mark Geiger. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Hey, and wrapping up, um, our listeners, uh, do you have a great health plan? Do you have a fitness plan? Do you get any kind of extra checkup if you're in a stressful um, uh, detail or, or assignment? Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you at policingmatters at police1.com. You can send us an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Uh, listen to what your body's telling you and pay attention. Uh, be well and stay safe. And thanks for your service. I'm Jim Dudley. Take care.